so as far as the writing process goes then for you, is it a pleasant experience? Is it, you're nodding your head. Oh, yes, yeah. it is a pleasant experience. It's wonderful. Okay. It's okay. my favorite kind of work. It's the hardest work. It's never not motivating to me. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, we don't have that in common because I find <laughs> writing to be incredibly difficult and unpleasant almost <laughs> all the time. <laughs> Welcome to the Morse Code Podcast, where we talk with entrepreneurially minded creatives in music, film, and writing. My name's Corby, and I'm hoping these conversations inspire you to push deeper into your own work, whether you're a full-time professional or just starting out on your own creative odyssey. Just a quick note to say the Morse Code Podcast is having its first ever live show to celebrate six months of steady, constant, faithful, inspiring, transcendent episodes. Wow, we're doing it, guys. Mark Sunday, April 14th on your calendars for our live six-month celebration at the Five Spot in East Nashville. We'll announce more details soon, but it's gonna be wild. Okay, I'm really excited to share this conversation with best-selling collaborative writer Shannon Lee Miller. Shannon's book projects have gone on to become national bestsellers, received starred reviews from renowned literary magazines, and garnered praise from celebrated authors including Elizabeth Gilbert, Glennon Doyle, and Cheryl Strayed. That's some good company there. I've known Shannon for like 15 years from an earlier chapter in her creative life when she was a Nashville singer-songwriter. Years ago, she pivoted into creative writing, started a family, and today she's a great example of how a person can integrate a creative path into a lifestyle that works for them. If you get something out of the Morse Code podcast, please like and subscribe. And now here's my conversation with Shannon Lee Miller. Shannon Lee Miller. Hi. Th- hi. Thank you so much for being part of this uh, expedition into the unknown. Um, we met, let's just jump into it. Okay. This okay. is, we met in a previous iteration of your life, which was as in your capacity as a singer songwriter. Is yes, that fair to say? That is fair. Um, and that was been like probably 15 years ago. Probably just a bunch years of us. Ago. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That was like when I first moved to town, roughly, that was like when, Lister, Jeremy Lister was killing it. Then Katie had all those sinks, Katie Herzig. Mm-hmm. And we, but that's how we, we met. And then I didn't meet you for a very long time. And in that, um, there was, then we met again eight years ago. I think so. I yes. came over and played music for you and Buck and the kids. Yes. And I don't even know why that happened. Because you're a kind, kind man. No. Yeah. Why, did you, why did you invite me over? Um, or I probably invited myself over. You did. Me. It was yeah, very okay. sweet. Um, Hudson, <laughs> had little Hudson. Yes. Loves music. And I think you had seen a video of him maybe, maybe dancing a little bit. And you're like, yeah. I'm going to come play music for this kid who loves music. And he freaked out. And it was snowy and Christmassy and wonderful. It was really fun. Yeah. And I also remember, I've told people about this experience a couple of times, um, just because it made an impression on me, but it, um, Edie? Oh, Everly. Everly. I'm so sorry. That's okay. Edie's great. If I have another one, it's number four. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. That won't happen. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Everly and Hudson, um, and your third child. Is wilder wilder mm-hmm. okay so all three kids were there and i was just like hey cool should i so should i play some like kids songs because i know some kids songs i'm used to you know yeah. i play for all kinds of audiences you'll do some puff the magic dragon you know i'm not yeah i'm not proud <laughs> uh and you guys were like no no they just like music I'm yeah like, okay and so i played like a song that i would play for anybody and watching 
Everly's face while I played. Her little face. She was probably <laughs> eight, maybe not, not. I don't even think eight. Little, maybe, yeah, yeah, she would have been little. It just like crumpled into this just like feeling of like, oh, love. And what is, it was just so precious and yeah. um, childish. And yet also something else there. There was like the promise of future trouble. Oh, yeah. You know? Well, she's made good on that promise. <laughs> <laughs> I called it. But yeah, I mean, she actually just got her first guitar. So that has been very interesting. We're only awesome. teaching her minor chords. So I'm hoping for some kind of like. <laughs> Are you being serious about that? Seat. No, she'll okay. learn. She, she, she's got a G. She'll be fine. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's very sweet to see her relationship with music evolve. And my relationship with music now kind of on the other side mm. of singer songwriter land. Yes. Okay, um, so let's get back to that. Let's get back to How it. did you what, pivot? What prompted you to do that? Because now, um, maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. Um, but right now, I know you as a, a writer, a ghost writer, a collaborative writer. Mm -hmm. You have a bunch of other projects um, under the writing umbrella. Yes. And we'll get into that. But how did you and why did you make the shift? I got a publishing deal and came down here to write. So it was kind of just my first writing job. A music publishing deal. Yes. That's what um, brought you from From Canada, from Toronto. Country. Yes. yes. Um, and I, you know, never went to turn down what felt like a wild opportunity. I was like, well, I definitely need to do this. But I, and I knew I loved to write and I loved to play music, but I didn't know very much about what I wanted to write. And mm -hmm. I mean that in, in all form, like I didn't know whether I wanted to write music or write for a newspaper or write, mm -hmm. you know, the copy on the Cholula bottle or, <laughs> or whatever. And I loved all of it. Um, and I had a really, really hard time with performing. Mm. Um, that was something that I just never really enjoyed. Um, it felt like kind of part of the package and, you know, push through and figure it out. But there was something that just felt so fundamentally wrong about it to me. Mm. Um, and I really had to lean hard on alcohol mm -hmm. <laughs> and partying just to even do it. Mm -hmm. Um, so I kind of said, you know, this isn't going to be a healthy way for me to live my life how long were you in this game before that realization um i was probably i would say about f maybe four or five years um i start when i started in music in canada i could you know i had just started playing and it kind of got to playing clubs in the city really fast mm -hmm. and opening for bigger artists really fast and i was not prepared as a human being in any way for were that. you like 18 19 20 yeah about 20 maybe yeah 19 or 20. Um, yeah, I just, I didn't know myself at all. And I was trying to find myself there. Mm -hmm. um, and I think when you're a kid, you know, famous equals good, you know, sure. famous equals right. That is the dream you are supposed to have. Um, and I got there and it, it wasn't mine, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so I stepped away and uh, sort of started playing music with friends a little bit just to try and enjoy it. And I, do you remember Asher? Um, he used to be in Modoc at all. Yeah, yeah, I do. So one day he's sitting in my friend Ashley's house and he's just playing. And I started singing with him. And I just remember feeling this like profound love for other people's voices. Mm. Um, and the way that my voice fit into, you know, to that world and to, into their experience. Mm -hmm. um, and it's like a supportive capacity. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And I just remember 
feeling so much love in that moment Mm -hmm. um, and so much purpose. Um, So I kind of decided after that point, you know, I had to find a way to work with other people. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, writing was my only skill. Pie is not taking off, so. (laughs) Yet. (laughs) Not yet. (laughs) Uh, So I wanted to find a way to do that. Um, And eventually, you know, I just started helping friends with the most simple writing you could imagine, you know, their websites and, Mm. you know, stuff like that. And eventually someone um, asked me about a book proposal and how to do it. And I had no idea how to do it, but I looked it up online and then I said, let's go. Wow. And I have not left Bookland since. (laughs) Um, Okay. We're about to jump into Bookland. Okay. But why, one quick question is that there's a lot of people who play music. um, You're not the first person to ever not enjoy performing but yeah. he was still a really creative person yeah and some of those people kind of veer off and songwrite for mm-hmm. others and they, yes. that's their thing and that didn't seem to be like interesting to you it wasn't super interesting um Clearly, I, I in hindsight. yeah yeah i mean i'm sure you know i'm sure i would have been all right but i think for me the lifestyle itself was so unhealthy mm, yeah um lifestyle is and, rough yeah i didn't know how to I didn't know how to do that. I didn't know yeah. how to human yet. Um, and so I just, uh, I really thought about what I wanted to write and where I felt like I was telling the most truth. And it mm-hmm. was not through music for me. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time as well, you know, Music Row was really Music Row and it was like real bro dog country. Sure. I mean, we're talking about our boats and our trucks and our very small town. The town is never medium sized. Um, and I it just, still isn't. It hasn't grown. I know it hasn't grown at all. How do they do it? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I can so relate to that. And I think part of the reason why I wanted to talk to you was because I, too, have a background in music and mm-hmm. a present ground in music. Um, but I have never felt uh, at home in the scene. And um, it, partly because I love reading and I like things that I don't think are well, I don't want to say what in- musicians are and aren't interested in, mm-hmm. but um, I've never, I look, I can say like, uh, for sure, I've never really been good at or interested in the backstage hang or yeah. the things that you sort of do when you're um, playing that game. I didn't play that part of the game very well. And so I can relate to that thing that you said about the lifestyle not being a great fit because it yeah. is, um, it's it's toxic to of long-term health every iteration i feel like uh whereas books are um uh, wildly exciting to me and also something you can do first thing in the morning by yourself um and and you can and and also they require a certain amount of rhythm um internal you know in routine they thrive in routine and that's his boded well especially like as i've gotten older when i was young i could put up with a lot more mm-hmm. um but when i'm old you, you have to pick your you have to choose you have to prioritize a lot more because time is a lot more valuable and shorter and that aspect of the book world has been really um inviting and productive and a positive experience for me and it sounds like maybe for you too is that fair to say oh my gosh yes five stars love book world i love book world. yes i do love it um i love being home i love the quiet i love communicating through writing it's much easier for me than even just sitting and having a conversation Mm -hmm. and even as we talk i can see the words in my head Mm -hmm. (laughs) so why do you think that is if we just like play with that for a second because i can relate really yeah why good (laughs) 
Um, I don't know exactly why that is, but from the time even I was a little kid, I found it really, really hard to sort myself out Mm. speaking. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would always need to sit down and, you know, just try to like get to my feelings. It was the only way there for me for a long time. and maybe in, in a lot of ways, I think it still is. At least it's the most coherent route for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think it's just, I'm not, uh, I'm not expressive in that way. I don't necessarily, I want to be heard but not seen, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. Well, and also you can be um, very clear about what you want to share with somebody when you write. Because mm-hmm. you can, I notice this about everything that I do creatively. I one of the things that's most terrifying thing in the world to me is improv of any kind. Oh my gosh! And, and I will do it. I if can't I, even hear the word. If I have to. okay, I, oh. so more common ground. I yeah. love it. Yeah, I mean, like I the few times in acting in particular is the most acting is terrifying in general, but like to improv in front of people um, is the most uncomfortable I think I could ever be, uh, and in musically. Like I have some facility on the guitar and I will, I can do it and I'm not good at it. But what I am good at. I think you're is quite sitting, good. But well, thank you very, very <laughs> kind. Behind closed doors. And this is everything for me behind closed doors, sitting there and trying all kinds of stuff. I'll make a fool of myself yes. to myself and I'll give myself endless amounts of time to just hammer away at something that on a gut instinct. And, um, and then when the thing is done and I've decided, okay, it is worthy of public appearance, mm-hmm. then the curtains part and I share the thing. Maybe it's a song or a, a, a story, a book, um, and, and like that. So I can, for me, the writing is the, the writing part of it is um, that being behind closed doors. And I don't know what I think until I write it. I really don't, you know? Yeah. And, and then, so when I write it, I discover what I think. And it's just a mumble jumbo and it's terrible and it's not good and it has no style and um, it gets, it takes too long to get to the point. All of the, every mistake you can make in communication happens for me Same in writing. Yes. And then the edit, you clean it all up and it looks really nice. And you're like, I think that's about as good as, that's pretty good for me. And then that's when I can share it. So I, maybe I, I didn't mean, this is supposed no. to be about you. But no, I love it. This is great. It's very mm. similar. I mean, I, I do the same thing. I like to really work on it. I don't like it to leave the nest until it's ready. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I am doing something like if I'm playing and singing at home and like someone was to walk in the room while I was doing my thing, a child, someone who I birthed, any, I would just, it's, I melt. Like, it's like, ah, <laughs> <delicate> <laughs> me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think for me, with especially with that transition from music, I realized I was really suffering for my art. And I don't think that's a mm. thing that people need to do. Mm. And in a lot of cases, I don't think that they should do it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think people have made great art, not because of suffering, but in spite of it, largely. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I think it's great when something feels comfortable. I think that's a blessing to mm-hmm. find, you know, a room in your house that you can sit and do the first draft mm-hmm. and polish and, and have that safe space. Um, so this is, this is conversation is going a little bit nonlinear, but that's okay. So okay. we're just going in it. Um, so as far as the writing process goes then for you, is it, to, is it a pleasant experience? Is it, because you said it doesn't have to be torture and so you're nodding your head. Oh, yes, yeah. it is a pleasant experience. It's wonderful. Okay. Oh, okay. It's my favorite kind of work. It's the hardest work. It's never not motivating to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to make it good so bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, from a pretty, I'm a pretty even keel kind of person, 
But when I'm like, I'm so passionate about whatever project I have, like I want it to be good with all of me. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's something that I, you know, will do anything to preserve that sense of excitement. Um, Mm -hmm. Whether that means, you know, taking a break from it for a minute, if it does start to feel bad, I want to come to it and and be able to be 100% loyal to the work. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, we don't have that in common because I find <laughs> writing to be incredibly difficult and unpleasant almost all the time. But we both hate improv, so. Yes, totally. <laughs> um, okay, so you you pivoted, you, you're writing CD liner notes, whatever, helping out friends. Yes. There was a supportive capacity that was a clue yes. moving forward um, at a key moment. And then you wrote your first book proposal, not knowing how to do it. Not knowing. And it worked? It worked great. We were both, everyone was shocked, I think. Yeah. (laughs) But it worked. um, And I got to work on the full manuscript. It was a memoir. um, Mm. And we just kind of dove in together, really grateful for somebody to have faith in me, being a total noob. Mm -hmm. Um, And after that, you know, you build a network of of people, friends tell friends. Mm -hmm. You start to find agents that you like to work with and publishers that you like to work with. And I've been really lucky that after that one book proposal, that one book, they've kept rolling in mm-hmm. uh, and so is that the principal avenue of expression and or income for you is is it and is it ghost writing is it collaborative writing how would you describe it i want to describe it as collaborative writing and <laughs> let's do that yes um i do occasionally ghost write but i really love to be in the process with someone mm. um and i think it's always better that way and what does that look like um well, it looks different every time, of mm-hmm. course. Uh, we get together in person if we can or online, but I also try my best to find somebody's most comfortable means of telling their story um, and helping them get there. So for some people, maybe they've journaled and I can take a look at that stuff. For others, they're really great at talking. Mm. So they can go out on a walk and answer prompts that I might have or just meditate on whatever they're doing. Like, will you go out on a walk together and just talk? I would or do love they record- that. It okay. hasn't happened. Um, <laughs> still waiting one day. But they uh, like they'll, they'll record themselves. Uh-huh. And sometimes they listen back and they're like, oh, my gosh, I am good at writing. I'm like, yes, this is this is writing, too. You know, mm. this is storytelling. And a lot of people think they can't do it. And they're so much better than they believe they are. Mm-hmm. So I've found getting them to see that super duper rewarding. That's my dry cleaning, I think. You have dry cleaning? Well, I'm going to Sundance tomorrow, so oh everything's getting a little do. spiffy. Um, okay, so you you like to collaborate, and people um, will, and that looks like a bunch of different things. Yes. And um, what would be the timeline? I see it. I know nothing about this world and and I even tried to know a little bit about it when I (laughs) called you several months ago um, because I was faced with an interesting opportunity Mm -hmm. and and I had no idea how to all the there are several ways it could I could move forward with it. Um, That's a story for another time. But you told me um, really thoroughly how one might go about. Um, writing a book proposal mm-hmm. and I was I was just like oh my god you're like you can do it in your sleep 20,000 words is no problem and I'm like 20,000 words in my sleep I don't know I don't know that's a long sleep <laughs> but um so when you when when somebody approaches you to like write they approach you you're, yes. you're not really pitching yourself no to... not at this point I'd be really bad at it as well I would not mm. hire me based on my pitch of myself <laughs> but so that someone comes to you Shannon I would love to collaborate with you on a book and then what is the next step? 
It depends if this is somebody who um, tends what kind of book they're going to write. Uh, if they have support, if they have a publishing deal already, or if they have an agent already. Um, for nonfiction writers, generally speaking, your book proposal is your first step to all of those places mm -hmm. for to get an agent, to get a publishing deal. Unless you want to self-publish or work with a hybrid publisher, which you don't always need a proposal for that. Mm -hmm. um, and the proposal is an outline of your book, um, a bit about your story, a bit a bit about how you would market yourself um, and promote the project once it came out, and some sample chapters. So once you've written that, writing the actual book is easy. You've done most of the work. Yeah, and you also like yeah, it's much the easier than pie. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell the writers. <laughs> Bakers are way ahead of you. Um, it's okay. So someone writes the you you write you would write the proposal. You would submit it to depending on the way forward. Mm -hmm. um, and if somebody wanted to go to the more traditional publishers route, they would submit it. You would submit it to several publishers. There would be a third party doing the submitting, which I don't typically submit author stuff. I think it's more genuine when they. You know, do it themselves. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, she says that she's like, I wrote half a book. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think that there's, it's important for them to find that connection, someone mm -hmm. that they want to work with that they feel like would represent them well. Um, so they would send their proposal along with a query letter, which is a little, you know, hi, I'm Corby. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is my book. This is what it's about. Like just the elevator pitch. Mm -hmm. um, and then from that point, they might find an agent and go on. To publishing houses together and what would the timeline be on like that uh be like for that w between from when you'd finish the proposal hand it back to the author and say go get him tiger to okay we got a green light we're finishing this book depends on a lot of things <laughs> um and for the not for the fiction writers they have a totally different path as well which let's do them mentioning. in a second okay i am curious okay so your nonfiction writer has submitted their proposal they got a publishing deal yay um it normally takes i would say six to nine months to write the book it can take longer but that book isn't coming out for at least two years mm -hmm. and that is now a, a real drawback for some authors to submit to a traditional publisher it's just knowing that this book that they've been waiting their whole life to write they're gonna have to wait you know two or three more years before it's out in the world mm -hmm. um, yeah i mean life looks potentially much different in two years it does yeah a lot of people yes so um i'm finding that now a lot more of my nonfiction writers especially those with a platform are you know they're choosing to go with a hybrid publisher or it's choosing to self-publish and that turnaround time looks a lot more like six months from the time the manuscript's finished and the 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 trade-off with that is the onus of marketing is a lot falls more squarely on the shoulders of the of the author yes and no <laughs> tell me more yes and no um there are a lot of really interesting publishing models now where you can hook up with a, a hybrid publisher who acts more as a partner um, so they'll have those support services for you. Mm. You're still very likely at the end of the day going to own your work, which is huge in case it ever gets licensed, wants to become a film, mm -hmm. wants, you know, wants a line of toys or whatever if you're a children's book author. Um, so a lot more people are saying, you know, I'd like to own, own my masters for lack of better, sure. <laughs> of a better word and keep control of that. Um, 
But the traditional publishing world has experience and prestige, not necessarily better support services either, in my experience. Mm -hmm. A lot of times the author is still slugging it out. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what I understand. Yeah. People that work in publishing in the trad publishing world is uh, not a lot of attention paid. Yeah. And, and, And that's because it's so hard to make any money in the publishing game, even for established publishing. Yeah outfits um i also hazard and i say this from the outside because i don't know your world as well as um i hope to someday but the um the cred that comes with a traditional publisher like harper row or um, something like that i don't think that's as important as it used to be like there used to be a lot more of a stigma around self-publishing or hybrid hybrid publishing and i don't uh, my feeling is that that's not really the case. Yeah, it's changing and I'm glad it's changing. I think it's wonderful that more people have access to this work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also think it will it will help traditional publishing sort itself out a little bit and decide, you know, okay, well, am I gonna just pick up this celebrity memoir or am I gonna work with someone who's really passionate, who has a great, interesting story, who we are gonna have to market ourselves. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping that eventually you know, that experience you hope for with the traditional publisher will change as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's room for every every avenue, for sure. I mean, inevitably, it's going to change some. Yeah. But I can also see there always being a place for a celebrity memoir well, because it yeah. kind of sells itself. <laughs> it does. It does. Um, okay. So you, okay. So that was non- nonfiction. Yes. Let's talk about fiction for okay. a second. So if you're going to collab with somebody on fiction, that seems like a completely different thing. It's like, a totally different thing. Yeah. You have to write your entire manuscript before you submit it to anyone. The whole, the, the whole like deal. The, right. Yeah. So there's no prospectus. There's no uh, pitch. There's no, here's what I'm thinking where it's going to go. Yeah. You got to know all here's the nitty gritty. Yes. Do you want it or not? Yes. And so when someone comes, so you've, have you, you've collaborated on I've done some fiction fiction stuff. Yes. Um, well, which do you like better or if, um, I think I like nonfiction better. I love memoir. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's the collaboration experience there. It's normally, you know, someone's life story, so it can be really healing for them. And then Mm -hmm. that makes me all warm and fuzzy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah. I mean, it's just a different muscle entirely inventing a world and a character and a story and a plot. Um, and so w- when you've done that, that looked like a person coming to you saying, Hey, Shannon, I've got an idea for a book. Or mm-hmm. is it more like, Hey, Shannon, I've got this manuscript or I've got the first three chapters of this and I'm thinking it could go here, but I just need somebody to walk with me mm-hmm. or uh, it's different every time. I'm sure. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, give me an example of some range. Uh, well, there are people that have just wanted to write a book. And I think that's a terrible reason to write a book. <laughs> And no one should ever do it because it is, uh, it is really, really, it's really hard. Yes. You know, um, it is not simple. And especially in a world like fiction where literally every, anything's possible, everything's possible, mm-hmm. you know, nailing down what will feel fulfilling for that person is, is a tough, mm. tough test. Um, but a lot of times someone will come to me with, I like, I loved this book. I want to write a book like abc Mm. um and then we can start to kind of talk about the thematic you know meat of of that and that's normally where i would start is you know what do you want the reader to walk away with Mm -hmm. not so much you know how do you want to get there with the reader um and then we work backwards to plot normally it is wild i like what you said a second ago about um it's harder to know what will be fulfilling to that person with a 
a book of a work of fiction. And um, I think that is such an important um, boundary or the, that term is so important to identify regardless of the creative mm-hmm. endeavor for every single person. Like when, what, what does the finish line look like? How will I know that I did good? Yeah. What it could be, because if you don't define that, you'll never feel like you did good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that, I mean, I've, I've learned that the hard way in music and I've, you know, I'm kind of on the other side of it in a way. Um, because I finally was like, oh, I am doing it. I have succeeded. I am succeed. This is me succeeding. Yes. I wake up every day and I do a variation of what I want to do in the world. Like it's pretty close to my ideal way to spend my time. And like, that's a win. And I, b- before I was like, I want to be on a tour bus with yeah. a band and play a hundred dates a year and make X, you know, whatever mm-hmm. it was. Those things are um, a lot more fraught. Mm-hmm. And I think once one reaches those, uh, golden rings um you find that there's nothing there (laughs) it's Um, painted gold it's painted gold yes (laughs) yeah um, so that's i would think that that would go for memoir writing or for fiction writing or and i also hazard to think that perhaps with the with a the nonfiction capacity the satisfaction is easier um to define and maybe even more intuitive in a way because it's like I want to tell my story for like a memoir. Mm-hmm. I want to tell my story is in an engaging way that's truthful to me as I understand myself. And then you can reach the end of that and you have done that. Yes. And th- then maybe this, whatever it sells or something is sort of icing on the cake, but you've, you've really met a hugely fulfilling goal in just in yes. making a memoir. Um, whereas if you're like, I want to write a thriller that sells 50 million copies. Yeah. Well, you probably can write a thriller but you're playing a very difficult game with a lot of people yeah. that are playing this. Yeah, game. I mean, don't write a book to sell a book ever. I don't think either. Yeah. You know, don't like, make a piece of art to sell a piece of yes. art. I just think, yeah, that's not advice that many people, I think, in this town, perhaps, yeah, would adhere to. But I think it's good advice. Um, okay, well, uh, talk to me about your daily writing habits. Um, when you're in in the zone, mm-hmm. you're working on a book. Do you write at the same time every day? Do you have the same spot that you write in? You're also a mother of three, so that's a lot yes. going on in your world outside of the written word. Yes, um, I have. I'm developing better writing habits. I have not had them very well. It's felt, I mean, very long. Um, but I just got a home office, mm. so that having a, a separate space is great. For the first several years of my career, I would go to Buckley's side of the bed. That was my office. <laughs> I would wake up and make the bed and just shift by about two feet. And that would be my <laughs> office for the day. And I would be done and shift back. <laughs> but um, I do think it's better, healthier to have a space um, where I can actually sit at a desk and feel like a business lady. I think that's interesting. Um, <laughs> it rings true. And I'm much better in the morning. Hmm. I don't know how people write at night. I can't imagine it. I don't either. Yeah. That's when I watch my baking show. I, can't, yeah. I couldn't do it. Um so I always try to start very early um, and I just drink a bunch of coffee, <laughs> like an irresponsible amount of coffee and see what happens. Mm-hmm. And normally by noon, I've got, you know, a couple thousand words mm-hmm. and I can sort through and find the good ones. And normally I'll revise in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's a full, full-time job, fair to say. It is. Yeah. 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 Sometimes it's much more than a full-time job. Sure. Um, but it's. Also, man, I mean, kind of the, what you were saying earlier, it's a pinch me thing that this is a job that I can do that seems so 
ridiculously catered to my personality, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that I can spend all day long with the craft, but I don't have to, you know, go out and sell it. Yeah. Um, and I have just the amount, the right amount of people in my life as far as getting to correspond with authors and getting to collaborate. Um, yeah, I feel very, very lucky. One of the things I really, another thing I like about the book world is it moves um, in a slow and steady is a cumbersome, uh, mundane way of putting it, but it's like things are happening all the time. It takes so long to write a book that um, you, you're not out there playing open mics to get attention or what I'm trying to think of the musical equivalent. Everything is much quicker Yeah. in that world. Maybe it's the songs are because they're three minutes long. So it only takes a day or three hours to write a song maybe. Um, But with books, it takes so long and there's this rhythm that things are happening, but it's all kind of slow and steady. I'm I'm thinking of like your social exchanges with um, friends and prospective future clients. Um, Those are coming. They're like, no one's texting you for that stuff (laughs) it's coming in in a nice controlled way Mm -hmm. that you can look at when you're ready your inbox or something yeah and um that's just so i think i'm starting to sound very old in this conversation but i noticed that like i really enjoy email communication because it doesn't interrupt me and yeah. I'm like instantly sort of annoyed when somebody texts me like out of the blue, hey, Corby, blah, blah, blah. Okay, I was I got this idea for this thing. I'm just like, God, I would, I'm in the middle of a thing right now. Yeah. And my phone just, you just bothered me. Um, I, but I think that I'm the exception in this world. I feel I the same. You do. Yeah. yeah. And I, I mean, I will lose my phone in the day purposefully. Yeah. Like that's another, it just can't, it can't be there. Um, I'm so weak. I love Instagram so much. I've, yeah. I'm relatively new Instagram user and mm-hmm. I'm drinking the Kool-Aid so I can't be near it. No, I, I think that's everybody. <laughs> I mean, I'm, it's, it's so poisonous. This is something I found. Uh, this is my little writing spot over here. Ooh, and uh, it's always the same. It's a good desk. My happiest hours of my life are spent there. It's the first three hours of every day from, you know, 5.30 to 9 in the morning or whatever. And uh, the, the, the best way I have found to stay away from the Instagram deal is, and this is not an original idea, but um, I used to you know, use the, time, the timer on my phone and set it to, I, I would like go 25 minutes, this is still what I do, 25 minutes, five minute break. Five minutes, who knows, that could be 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. The second the timer goes off and it's free time again, God, it's just drenching your attention back to the task at hand. It's so hard. So I just try to keep that 25 minutes sacred. And um, But the problem is with having it on your phone is that your phone is still doing the work. And then you can always be like, how much time do I have left? And then there's a notification or something. Or like you sent me a text. And I'm yeah. like, okay, what did she say? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, who knows what's happening. And it's 25 minutes later and you wasted a whole bunch of time. It's so fragile yeah. um, that I have found that I bought a there's that little red hockey puck on the desk there ah. and that is just like a a just very simple primitive timer it has one function and all it does is like a dial and i just dial in 25 minutes the phone is in another room yeah you know and and then i hit fun and then because writing is hard for me not you for me writing is hard and um so i uh, write a little bit and then i'm like okay, this could happen or this could happen or i don't like that sentence and then that's pause that's where that's where you lose your attention that's mm-hmm. where you go to the phone because we're just so quick now to any sort yeah. of just like um there's no such thing as waiting in modern life it's very it's a forgotten art 
um, that, yeah, that, that it's that impulse. And so I find that having the absence of a phone in that critical moment, which happens for me 10 to 20 times in that 25 minute span is where you start to train mm-hmm. yourself to push through that, um, that, uh, hiccup. Let's yeah. Say. But, um, I'm just, I say that because Instagram is, it's, it's pure poison. It's it incredible. is. And it's the, the challenge that I, that I see a lot, um, especially with my authors and with my fellow writers is there are, if you have one art, if you are a guy who has a podcast, mm. then you also have your podcast, Instagram, you also have your podcasts, Facebook page mm-hmm. and your podcasts, you know, all of those things. Yeah, all of the it's various so things. much content yes. for, for a person to be responsible for. Um, and I, you know, I know that in my own case, that, that content suffers and I hate to see that. Mm. So I'm hoping that that will change a little bit and that when I am working with other authors, I can help protect that a little bit. Say that again, say that again. Um, when the, the content suffers, so you're, you're saying that the responsibility of maintaining a presence on the various platforms yeah. is significant demand on your time. And when you're neglecting it, the content suffers and that you don't like to see that. I don't like to see that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like to see that, man. There's a part of me that looks forward to the time when I mature enough as a human being and have enough faith in the, I'm not exactly sure the merit of what I'm doing. It's a clumsy way of putting it that I can just abandon social media wholesale and never look back. Um, that day may or may not ever come, but I did, uh, successfully, withdraw from the Twitter game okay. maybe two years ago after being a participant for 10 years and building it up, you know, yeah. I didn't, I never had a lot of people, but it was like 3000 or something people, but that I seems hate, like a lot of people. It's, to it me. was a lot, lot yeah. to me, a lot That's to me. That's a lot of tweeting, but I just, didn't, I never tweeted. I didn't Twitters. enjoy tweeting. I didn't enjoy being part of the thing. Yeah. And at some point I was just like, why do I feel compelled to participate in an environment that is hostile to like the very person that I am like mm-hmm. I don't like this snarky attitude I don't feel compelled to have a little jab of my own or and bon mots have never been my forte you know so it was just like I I I canceled it all it felt so great and then I my last record I did it got picked picked up by a label and they did an evaluation of all my social media thing and they were just like why don't you have Twitter? Like this so, they were so annoyed. And they were just like, you just need to have a presence because it's just like one more problem. And I was like, okay, I guess I will. And I did it like for two weeks. I'm just like, fuck it. Yeah, I mean, you can't be everywhere. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) The more that you participate in this world, the more it takes from everything else. It's a zero sum game in life. Mm -hmm. So much time. And um, yeah, I have found that minimizing my participation in social media. I do it. I participate every day. I'm in there. I participate on pretty much Instagram if I do it at all. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't do it a lot and I don't post all the time. And I also only post, I feel like I'm preaching right now and I'm not trying to do that um, because who knows if I know what I'm talking about. Jury's out. But for me, uh, I, I think, I think you're pretty credible. Okay, so yeah. far, so good. So far, so we'll good. I'm, I'm just getting noticed, it. I'm nodding over here. This is the thing that I notice is that like, 
desperation is there's nothing more repellent than desperation and and social media breeds it mm -hmm. and especially in, in the creative community where you feel overwhelmed you feel like everybody's got at the got a microphone where's my voice i'm being drowned out and you feel like me too and you raise your little hand you take a selfie in your car mm -hmm. or something like that just to feel like you're there and it's like that's not a good way to go no don't it is participate not. unless you have something to say be silent Keep, keep your life to yourself. It's so precious and, and wonderful to not share. And then when you do, you're like, okay, I'm going to let you in on this little thing that I'm choosing mm -hmm. to share. And that's it. And I'm going to go back behind my closed door to the people that I love and love me and live my real life. Mm -hmm. And I find that I notice people that I feel kind of engage in social media that way as being people I'm sort of drawn to mm -hmm. because I'm like, I'm not, I don't feel like they're just bludgeoning me with another piece of their life to keep their content going. So anyway, uh, we're all still learning how to do it, but yeah, um, not being desperate, I feel like is really helpful and just at everything in your life. Yeah. I mean, being seen is overrated, I think. For sure. <laughs> yeah. By everyone. You know, it's, it's, you know, you want, you want your people to, to see you clearly, but yes. it doesn't matter if your strangers do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it does. In, if you're trying to sell something yes. and I understand that because I am trying to sell yes, something. Yes, absolutely. Um, bringing it back to the, the book thing and the, the slower motion, the slower uh, rhythm, that's maybe mm -hmm. a better word of putting it is that when I was doing, you know, there's a time in my life I was doing 150 shows a year and the the responsibility, the magnitude of content and reminding and raising your hand and, hey, I'm playing this show. And it yeah. was just like a daily thing. And I just, I found that I just started like hating everything about it. I started hating myself a little bit for engaging in it so much and feeling like I had to mm -hmm. because I was needing to bring people to the, and they're like, no one's coming to the shows because you're posting anything. No, it's everything that happens successful in your life is happening from a long ways away that's coming because you're building forward to it. And that means, I think if you're writing a book or you're writing a great song, write one great song and keep a straight job and then get ready and then put that song out and go like, here is my song. Yes. This is it. Amen. And people will be like, damn, I haven't heard from him in seven months. Like, what is this song? Yeah. Whereas if it's just like, here's another one, here's another one. Yeah. Like, no, one, that's not. And then you're desperate. Like, anyway, so the, the whole, like with the book, the rhythm of the book world is um, f uh, conducive to my willingness to engage in social media. And the same thing with movies too. It's one thing I really like about um, this Morse code project mm -hmm. that I've been doing. It's been years, you know, in the making and there was not much about it except to my like existing fans. Like here, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, uh, but publicly very little. And then when it was time to release it, um, it felt like I had something I really 100% believed in. Yeah. It was very easy for me to share this and be like, this is special. I really believe in it. And, you know, it's kind of, well, so far so good. That's, that's why we're going to Sundance. I mean, it's exciting. It is a big deal. But it's like, it didn't happen because of um, a sense of, of feeling rushed or, um, uh, I keep using the word desperate, but like it didn't happen with that. It was just like very slow and meticulous. And we made sure that the writing was great, mm. you know, and then we got the package together and this is, you know, it took so long and it was not easy to wait and be patient like that. But, um, and then once we shot it, it was like nine months of just editing and re-editing and like just so slow and deliberate. But in hindsight, it's just like, I don't ever want to do anything another way. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I mean, I think that's so important, just giving yourself time 
yeah. and not being in a rush. We're all in such a rush yeah. and nothing happens if it, you know. Nothing happens good if it's in haste. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there are no book emergencies ever. <laughs> There's never, <laughs> No, <laughs> they're not thing. real. So yes. <laughs> yeah, and I think we just all need to kind of let our art happen a little bit mm-hmm. instead of trying to wrestle it to the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I always, you know, everyone is always in a rush to just get it out and just do it. And just, but then, you know, it comes out, and a lot of times it's not gratifying. Yeah. Because they're exhausted. <laughs> yeah. We're so tired. It's so yeah. easy to be exhausted and let yes. let this thing win. This machine that's completely antithetical to all traditional rhythms of human behavior. Mm-hmm. It's it's a very toxic time to be alive i think and for everybody but creative the creative world is not i don't think it's done many uh done a service to mm-hmm. the creative enterprise the social media thing anyway i'm sounding like an old man again no um, i love it i'm also an old man so <laughs> two old men yes just a couple of old men yes. here talking um well so what what's next okay no no i don't want to know what's next yet mm-hmm. i want to know if and if maybe you've thought about, about this or maybe not but like um, what would be the th- what would be the golden f- gig for you? Like, what's something? Are you working toward something? You know, five years from now, what you'd like your life to look like creatively, um, uh, or is there? Yeah, is there just something out there you'd be like? If I could do this, it would be awesome. Just curious. Hmm. I think more and more. This is not this is not a declaration yet. This is something I'm toying with. But at some point, I'd like to take a year off and write some great fiction. Yeah. Um. And I'd like to take six months off and read and just read, Mm. read, 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 which is so important. Mm -hmm. Um. I think that's probably where it's headed. Is where I can get to a point where I'm going to say, you know, I'm going to save some cash. I'm gonna sit down and do something great and maybe it will come out and maybe it will be a book thing, but it will be, you know, a story I'm telling for myself. Yeah. So. Um, That's very exciting. mm -hmm. And I applaud and hope that that comes to pass and I bet it will. Thank you, I hope so, I hope so. Um, I know it's so hard. Like I th- there's a there's a kind of a subtext to our conversation so far, which is to say that you're writing um, and I, this, I'm going to frame this as a question sure. uh, up to this point has been, as you said at the, at the beginning, in service to others. Mm-hmm. And it, as in a sense, it's your you know what you're writing is you're being compensated for it in, yes. in, in advance or, you know, along the way. So you're not like, oh, shit, is this going to be anything at the end? Yeah. And um, <clears throat> I hear that. And that's so smart to be able to, <laughs> to work work it like that and i also hear the other side of it is just like yeah you know i would like to do something crazy yeah and see if it i don't know see if i can make something that sticks um i'm also reminded of there's a long time ago i read this book um zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance it was a huge book in the 70s if you maybe you've heard of the title it's been long forgotten but i found it it's it's up there in the shelf somewhere but um he talks about the guy who wrote it it's written in first person and he's like a college professor and i think it's like he's it's basically him in the book Mm -hmm. but he uh he fantasizes about um his these vacations that he takes when he by himself he just drives in his truck he's got a little camper and he drives up into the mountains with a stack of books and his vacation is just to sit in the camper and read. Oh yeah, and the friend that he's absolutely confiding do in. It. It's like, why can't you just do that at home? And he's like, are you joking me? Like, I got a family. Yeah. I got, there's a phone in the wall. Yeah, there's the, like endless amounts of distractions. And um, as a as a as a, a reading addict, 
um, that's the, I mean, the part that I said about writing every day is it's all true, but the first half hour of every day, it's my favorite half hour. I mean, the co- cup of coffee sitting there and it's like, I get to read for 30 minutes, whatever yeah. I'm reading. And it's just such a joy to have that quiet time. And, you know, there's like this religious, this is a riff a little bit, but I'm, a, a, I kind of am engaged in questions of the spiritual nature. I come from a long line of preachers. So I got mm-hmm. this, it's in my blood a little bit. And I, there's a part of me that feels like oh, I should do devotions. I should like pray a little bit. And I do, sometimes I do it, but I don't really enjoy it. Like I like reading yeah. fiction. I'm I mean, a, that is a prayer. <laughs> that is, that a, is no. a prayer. Can we call it a prayer? Yes, we can call it a prayer. Of course you can. <laughs> Absolutely. Man, I think about this. I'm just like, I'm on the side of people. If it's, if somebody made me choose, are you, on, are you on God's side or people's side? I'm like, I don't know, man. I think I'm on the side of the people. Yeah. We have it so hard. We don't even know what we're doing here. You know, we wake up every day and like, it's we're very gonna, confusing. It's very confusing to be alive. <laughs> what, what is even going on? If we pan back even a little bit, I know it's just like so crazy. So everyone's got this little take on it, this little snippet, this little glimpse of the universe and our place in it and i just like love knowing somebody else's perspective it makes me terrible at causes i like empathize <laughs> with everybody but um yeah anyway that's a reading riff but what so what are you so you want to re- take take a crack at writing something crazy on your own yes um what are and you do read I and do. What do you? What's something that you've read recently that you want to talk about? Oh my gosh, that's tough. Um, Anything that's or a tough. long time ago? It doesn't even have to be recent. Just something that maybe made an impression. I just love talking about books. Okay, yeah, well, anyway. saddle up, friend, because we could do this a while. Here we go. Um, I would say my favorite book that I have a habit of buying. I've probably bought this book forty or fifty times in my life, and I always give it away. Is <clears throat> The Little Prince all day long? Oh yeah. <sighs> A classic, oh, forever classic. It's never boring to me. Um, I'm weird about it at this point where like, if someone will come to my house and I'm like, how long until I start talking about the little <laughs> prince and their stranger? <laughs> um, I just gave one to the president of our neighborhood association who I don't really know. And it was odd, but I'm I sure love it. I mean, that's, I mean, that's the goal is like write a book that someone oh. will buy so many times. Yeah. Like that's not one purchase. Sell, you know, find your evangelist. He's it's made a me. lot of money off of you. His, <laughs> his estate has. Yes. <laughs> um, and I noticed one of my favorite memoirs of all time that you have right here is the Andre Agassi one. I loved that book. It's so good. Yeah. It's so good. It's such a fascinating glimpse into like, tennis mm-hmm. like modern day tennis the industry of it how it's experienced by the people doing it yes oh my god there's an opening scene in that book that uh i don't even know if i can talk about it without crying but it's like the opening scene is him august he's talking about um toward the end of his career he has a showdown at the u.s open and it's the young kid coming up and it's a it's a slog battle it goes yeah. five sets it's Ooh. just back and forth they just you know they beat each other to a pulp they're worn and he's like a he's broken at this point he's yeah. like almost about to retire and he finally ekes out a win and god it makes me emotional i know i'm goosebumpy but they go backstage (laughs) after it's all over and they're sitting there in the in the in the dressing room together and they're like laying on this bed together and they're the the highlights of the match come up and they're watching themselves play just like moments ago and he just like reaches his hand out and the guy like you know the challenger reaches out and they just like hold hands for a second in the room and they're watching themselves like we fucking did that you know and i just like God, I love people. I know. So good. I know. I mean, it's, <clears throat> yes, people are the best. <laughs> I also love tennis. You love it more a little bit. I thought I, I really love the book. You love it more than me. <laughs> 
it's great and it's also one of the most i would say if there's a famous ghostwriting ghostwriter client collaboration it's mm. andre agassi and his ghostwriter mm. um and it's just that's the like i read that it's and i'm like that's standard. the the one every time I work mm. with an athlete or um, a lot of times when I work with a man because I'm not a man even though I love male sweaters and I use lots of cedar scented products I have a lot to learn about <laughs> uh, so I read a lot of you know of of memoirs of men and I and I love it and that's yeah. my fave that's a really good one nice I also love a trashy trash read Mm, yeah. Um, my dad read like all these Dick Francis horse racing, you know, mm. drugstore books. And I, there is nothing more comforting to me than going to pick up one of those where, you know, you know, certain things are going to happen. Um, but and you're not just, just exactly that way as they have. Yes. That's yes. Louis L'Amour for me. Oh, yeah. And my dad, there's a sentimental thing to, for that, too, because that's all he ever read. Yes. And um, or reads. He's still alive. Uh, but yeah, the Louis Lamore books. And there's something about the trash novels. They have a lot to teach you yes. as, as, as a writer. It's like, hey, these sell really well. Mm -hmm. Why? Yeah. Like, what's going on here? I'm like, for some reason, at the last time I flew on a plane, this is a few weeks ago, uh, I bought one of the Reacher novels. Oh, yeah. At the, and same, same thing. I'm like, I actually haven't finished it and I don't know if I will. But I got a, a long ways through it. But uh that's not a strike against the genre because like the Tom Clavel series, mm -hmm. I think that's, um, uh, Bosch uh, is, did he write Bosch made into a, a TV show? Yeah. But, um, those books move so fast. They're yeah. so fun. So uh, yeah, I don't, I ain't too proud. I'll read a lot of stuff. Yeah. Right. The pacing thing is definitely interesting with those books. Mm -hmm. Another thing I want to do at some point is I would like to write some trashy books. I would like to take yeah. maybe another year and write some like trashy, trashy Highland romance. Which is a genre. It's a subgenre of rom of romance. It's like tartan affairs and such. What does tartan <laughs> affairs mean? Tartan. Um, it's everyone is kilted. We are oh, okay, like, you know, like Scottish. Like yes, I see. Yes, Highland, okay. Highland, Highland. Like yes, Highland games. So you Highland. read with a brogue when you're. It, yeah, it, I think the money's pretty bad in that game for the most part because there are, a lot of them are ghost written. Um, but I think I would do it anyway, and I think I would have a pen just name for fun. and yeah, for kicks. Yeah. Yeah, writing for joy. Yes. Who'd have thought? Absolutely. Have you read, um, I see this book, it just caught my eye, but Cloud Cuckoo Land by- I have not have read Have you it. heard of it? Yes, we own it. Buckley read it. That's a Buckley book for oh, sure. Man. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. I thought it was so interesting and, and fun. And okay. not, not a trash book. It's very, uh, he's he's trying to say something. Um, yeah. But it's it's really, it is a joy to read. And uh, he wrote another book that I, I like. Oh, a much more famous book called All the Light You Cannot yes. See, which is made into a Netflix yes. show. And I haven't actually, it's on the shelf somewhere and I haven't read it yet. But I read that one and, uh, and loved it. It's a book about books. It's a book about the power of a, of a piece of, uh, of literature across millennia. Mm. And it follows this one book from, and it's kind of part science fiction and part like historical fiction. And the through line being this one codex, which is what kind of, the precursor to bound books, yeah, call them codexes, um, and how it found its way through the ages. It's oh, that's really, so really cool. There's many characters in it, and that is so cool. Just, yeah, the ambition of fiction um, is never never ceases to amaze me, dazzle me. With I know, like, I don't think I'm a very good. I'm I'm not a particularly imaginative person. I notice the things that I that uh, speak most to me are close to 
what I would call like authentic human experiences yes. or just like, I like psychological novels, like mm-hmm. Anna Karenina is like gold standard for me. Um, but uh, when I've come across something that's like just wild, it's just, um, yeah. it's really fun to read. Yeah, I mean, I really, really, um, <laughs> I I need to I need to check out this book sh- this bookshelf a little bit more before I leave because you've got some some great stuff. But I also lean really heavily towards just getting closer to people. Mm. Um, I don't do a lot of dragons. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and I'm really you know yeah I'm moved by making something ordinary just gorgeous. Yes, like ugh. There's, have you um, heard of The All of It by Jeanette Han, Hein? I have you not. This? this is a very thin volume okay. and um, extraordinary book in, in that sense of just like human beings, except it's got like a pretty crazy conceit in it that, um, but it, it, it's very readable and it's written by a lady who wrote it in her 60s. She only wrote one book in her life. Dang, that's cool. And she was a professional pianist in Ireland. Double cool. Yeah, just a very unusual person yeah. who wrote a very unusual book that's a very specific kind of story. It's an Irish uh, story about two, um, a brother and a sister. And Patchett loves this book. It's, okay. it's famous that's because That's enough for she, me. Yeah, <laughs> rave reviews. She's like always singing its praises. But um, that's one that I like give to people. Yeah. I just think it's so... I don't know, maybe read it sometime and then wonder, wonder why I give it to people. Cause it's like, what, what does it say about you that you're like, this is the one, <laughs> this is my little prince that I give to people. But anyway. that's the best. It's so great to do that, to have a book that you just can't help, but want to talk yeah. about with, and just, I, if I give a book to someone, I'm probably the worst person to get a book from. Cause I'm totally expecting you're going to read this book. <laughs> like that you're but going home from my house to read the book right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, so I have to pump the brakes a little bit with that. Um, gosh, another great one I'm, I'm reading now is To Paradise. Did you read that? No. Uh, I forget the author's name and I probably would mispronounce it, so I won't try um, to like conjure it, but it's beautiful. Um, it's, it takes place in New York, um, in this, in Washington Square in this one house and follows characters. Uh, one is, I think in the late 19th century, one is in the 80s during the AIDS crisis, mm-hmm. um, and one is in the future, one fa- or one family. And it's all about these different interpretations of what freedom is and what paradise mm-hmm. is. And it's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, Who wrote it? Do you know? I don't. I mean, I get, would mispronounce the name. I don't want to do that because we'll, I would do it in a ridiculous way. <laughs> if you're watching on YouTube, we'll put it in the comments. Yes. We'll, Kyle will research this for yes, us. Yes, I'll do it. It's my fault. I'll send it to you. <laughs> it should be me. <laughs> um, okay. So if people want to get, I know you're not, I was just realizing that like this might be, in, there might be people that be interested in working with you at some point in the future. Ooh. And if that were to be the case, they can easily find you, I think, yes. on the internet. Yeah. I have a website. It's it's not great. We're working on it. Um, I looked at it. It's great. It's fine. Thank you. I mean, it has your email address yes. and what you do and some of the people that yes. you've worked with. Yes. Yes. Um, and some of the, I mean, you've had some pretty cool shout outs. Yeah. Um, Cheryl Strayed. Yes. Uh, I wrote them down. You can tell me. The, um, oh gosh. I don't know if no, I remember. Well, then I'll do it. I'll do and, but there, you know, it's, it's never my story. I'm just, I'm just there. I'm just sure. helping. <laughs> but you're, you're great at what you do. And, um, as evidenced by Elizabeth Gilbert and Glennon Doyle, 
who've somehow have been associated yes, with some projects. <laughs> I love Elizabeth Gilbert. I love her so much. Like she, to me, this is, this is what I like. Like I like a really high minded story told artfully in a way that's really easy to read. Yes. That is so hard to do. And I don't think anybody does it better than she does. Like Eat, Pray, Love. I mean, I guess so I'm good. a fan of Chicklet. I don't know. But I, that book was basically unputdownable. It is still, it, like to this day, I will, I'll pick it up every year. And I'm like, <gasps> just, I mean, and I, sometimes when I was reading it, I'm like, why is this so good? And I think that part of it's just the, fr- the, the sense of personality, mm-hmm. the sense of like this lady, I can trust this. I, I can, I just want to be around her. I yeah. want to hear what she has to say about this. I feel like she's not trying to put me on. I feel like she's a, a noble soul in her way as best mm-hmm. she understand it. I mean, it's like, that goes a long way. It does. Yeah. I it's mean, I love, love stuff that's accessible. I think that's a goal as well is, you know, yeah. accessible beauty and accessible insight and, you know, inviting everyone to your book party. <laughs> yes, invite everyone to your book yes. party. Yes. something for everyone, why don't you? One last thing is that, uh, lest you think that I only like uh, women authors, which I like them a lot, but uh, Carl- I love that you Carl like Ove- oh, <laughs> I just like people. I, uh, anyway, I'm being redundant. Uh, Carl Ove Nosgaard, have you heard of him? No. That guy is a dude, and okay. there, there was one. In fact, people kind of hate him in, um, in some ways, but he wrote a book, he's Norwegian. He doesn't, I don't even think he speaks English. Uh, so I've obviously just read he? it in translation. Why bother when yeah. you can speak? Uh, Own it if you're Norwegian. <laughs> and he's like this, he kind of, I don't know, he's six and a half feet tall. He's just this huge man. But he wrote a book, um, a series of books about a Norwegian author trying to write a novel. So he's read six novels about this guy trying to write a novel. Um, oh my goodness. It's called My Struggle. And I think that's on purpose. And uh, it is unputdownable. And the books are, I have, they're all in, they're up there somewhere. I've like, I will read, I'm, I'm on the last book and I read the, the fifth one probably last year, maybe the year before. I have to go so slow because I kind of yeah. don't want it to be done. Yeah, you get book grief. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just am not ready to be done with this guy and his weird tale. And it, there's something, I think about him a lot too, because it's like, I think they call it metafiction is sort of the genre that's been ascribed to him because it's not quite memoir, mm. but it's very, he he uses his family's names in it. It's okay. very like a guy like talking about his own life. Interesting. Yeah, it's you could be think of it like really indulgent and it, I think admittedly is, but it's so honest in a way. And like, dude does not pull any punches even on himself, like a, d- terrible things he did, but it's not like in a boastful yeah. swaggering way. It's just kind of like, I didn't, I was trying, this is kind of why, but I don't, anyway, that's a rave review for, I don't know, for a certain kind of person. Um, you're working all the time. You're raising family. We didn't even get into that. This was just about you and your professional <laughs> life. That's probably just as well. But um, thank you so much for talking to me and thank putting up with whatever. Thank you for letting I, me this, come to your studio. It's beautiful. It's, we're having a great time here. <laughs> um, and let's do something again off the clock. Maybe we can have dinner. Uh, yeah, I would like love that. that. We would love that too. Yay. So I'll look I'll forward to that. I'll bring you a pie. I can't wait. <laughs> The Morse Code Podcast is produced by Corby Lanker and Kyle Noctegall in East Nashville, Tennessee. Our executive producer is Randa Newman. You can find full video of this and all past episodes by visiting morsecodepodcast.com.